Welcome to the Bruce Bright Breakdown. My name is Dr. Bruce Bright. I'm a Marine fighter pilot, retired, did uh, 28 years in the Marine Corps. Following that, went to school, got my doctorate in psychology, and now a coach. What we're going to do on the Bruce Bright Breakdown is we're going to break down each guest as they bring in their topic. So we're going to get to the Bruce Bright Breakdown each and every week. I hope you join us. It's going to be fun, exciting, informative, and I think you'll love it. So join us right here on the Bruce Bright Breakdown. Hey guys, welcome to the Bruce Bright Breakdown. I've got a special edition today, one that I'm very proud of. Might even be a little biased. Today's guest is Bruce Bright Jr. He is my middle child. He is also the producer of the Bruce Bright Breakdown. And I won't tell you what else he's doing. We're going to get to that in the podcast. But Bruce, thanks so much for coming in and spending some time with Dad. Thanks for having me. Okay. So what we'll do is I'm going to ask Bruce to go back as far as he wants, start his story, and you're going to hear a story of entrepreneurialism come alive. I'll jump in on this one, too, because I, I watched this story unfold. So, son, go back as far as you want to start and tell us your story. Okay, so my entrepreneurial story, I mean, in elementary school, I did little things like lemonade stands, and I sold, like, paper footballs and stuff at school um, for, like, just a little bit of money. You little know, Little side hustle. Little side hustles, Yeah. And then the first like real entrepreneurial experience I think I have in my memory is when I was probably 12 or 13, I went to Boy Scout camp and it's like a week long camp. While I was there, I learned how to make these paracord bracelets. I'm sure you remember this. I remember that. And I made a few of them and I sold them to friends. And then we were going to the seaside, we were going to the beach for a week. And I decided to buy as much paracord as I could and I filled like a whole like fishing tackle box full of paracord. And all I did for like the week up to the beach trip was make these bracelets in hopes to sell them at the beach. And I brought all of them with me and I brought more paracord there. And we had a, you had a friend that owned a market in Seaside, Modica Market. And I went to him or we went to him. So remember, let's, let's, let's tell them what happened. So we get to, we get to our beach house and it was a two family event. There's a family that we love that we go with. So two families show up. And when we got there, it was raining. Yeah, it rained all week. Yeah. It rained every day. I mean, we had, in fact, Seaside flooded. The amphitheater was three feet deep. So there was there was not a lot to do for kiddos. There was no bike riding, no beach, no pool, at least the first few days. I think toward the end of the week, we just said, to heck with it. We rode bikes and swam in the rain because it rained every day, all day. So, of course, the kids were all spun up in the house and nothing to do, except we, we'd play games that were blue in the face. And so I mentioned to Bruce, I said, you know, you might be able to go ask the owner of Modica Market, who is a John Carroll fan, where Bruce went to high school. Uh, my, my went there, Charlie, dear friend and just a great man. His mom and dad ran it when we first started going down years ago. I believe they both passed. And so, you know, Charlie's got the, the helm. So what Charlie will do, occasionally he'll run a special. They make posters up and, you know, put them in the windows and, that sort of thing, it'll say, you know, whatever it is, strawberries or dollar a pound a day or whatever. So Bruce went over at the ripe age of... Like 12 or 13 Yeah. And talked to Charlie and said, would you be willing to let me, like, sit in here and sell my bracelets? And Charlie said, no, I will do that, but I'll make you a table and I'll make you a, a poster with your stuff on it. So that's why instead of riding bikes and throwing Frisbees and getting in the ocean, the reason that he chose to go do this is because 
it, the, the weather was terrible. Okay, so you decided to go over there. What happened? Yeah, I went over there and he gave me some kind of deal where I gave him a dollar or two per bracelet. I don't remember what I was selling him for, probably like five bucks, four or five bucks, I think. And all I did was I set up a little table right at the entrance and I had a poster that said paracord bracelets. And I just sat there and I made them all day. And I had a bunch of them made already in front of me. And I just made them all day. People would come by, kids, their parents would, you know, the kids would want one. And then the parents would say, how much are they? And I'm sure they just wanted to support me also. But their kids wanted them and they're at the beach, they're on vacation. So And they're in the rain too. And they're in the rain too. They're just trying to please them, keep them happy. So ended up selling out. And I don't remember what I made. I think I made a few hundred dollars, but at 13, it's pretty good money money at 13. Sure is. I'm not sure you paid me back for the paracord yet, but in any case, I was (laughs) was proud to see you in there making money and and doing your thing. So what happened next? Next, you know, entrepreneurial wise, I think I, well, I always had ideas of being an entrepreneur. I kind of, well, the first thing I wanted to be was in the NBA. And I remember wanting to be in the NBA for a long time. And then as soon as that started, the reality started to kick in on the NBA was when I switched to being, wanting to be an entrepreneur. And I kind of always wanted to be, Sledge and William used to give me shit all the time about it because they'd say, like people would ask me what I want to do. And I would just say, businessman, I just want to be a businessman. And they'd be like, doing what? I was like, business. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I had a client one time here in Alabama, three brothers, they run a company. I won't mention that, I haven't asked them, but they run a company and they make door locks and think bolts and things like that for doors. Mm-hmm. But it's a, multi, it's a multi-million dollar business and the three sons run it together. They all have different divisions. And I remember asking them one day, what got you interested in bolts and screws and doors and door frame? And the, all three of them said, Bruce, we could care less about any of that. We like business. This just happens to be our product today. Yeah. So I think you're kind of saying the same thing. The product doesn't matter. The service doesn't matter. What matters is that you're in business for yourself and you're making money. Yeah. I mean, even the service I do now, we'll get to that. Not super into it. Um, yeah. Just kind of found it. It's Yeah. It's a service that provides you a living. But um, All right. So we're in high school. In high school. I had a lot of jobs in high school. As soon as I started driving, I got a job at 16. I worked at a pizza place, an ice cream shop, multiple clothing stores. I was a valet. I was a waiter. I delivered pizzas later at a different job. Not on a bicycle, in a car. Yeah, in a car. So, I mean, I had jobs all through high school. And I I had little businesses that I started with friends that never, like, panned out. Like, we started a clothing brand. We started a, uh, we drop shipped furniture for, like, a month. We were always doing, me and Quinn and Sledge. Yeah, some of my high school friends. We were always trying to do something. Yeah. Um, And I I took, by the way, as your dad, I took joy in watching that because you were swinging the bat. You know, maybe, maybe, yeah, of course a lot. And maybe, maybe you hit a home run, maybe you don't, but there's a lot of learning going on when you started the Southern Clothing Company and then the shipping of the furniture and buy and sell and flip. So uh, I probably didn't even connect with the ball until primeval detailing. But I do think, so people say like the 10,000 hour rule, mm-hmm. like you have to, you have to put in the time to get good at something. You're not just going to be good at it. And I think I put in that time probably starting when I was like 14 or 15 with all these little business ideas that failed for different reasons. And then you just put that away. All right. Don't partner with somebody like that again. Yeah. You can't do that. And like, don't do that industry. You learn. And you just learn and put those things like in your brain and you're ticking off like those boxes 
to where you get find something that works. Right. So let me back up one more time here. So when you turned 11, I put you into an organization. Do you remember which one that was? Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts. And anybody out there listening, the Boy Scouts has changed. I know that. But anybody listening, um, if, if you're a dad and you have sons, the Boy Scouts, I'm not talking about Cub Scouts and Weeblows. I'm talking about Boy Scouts. It's from the ages 11 to 18. Well, when they turn 18, they, they're done. So you get seven years with them or so. I can just say from a father perspective, it was the best seven years of my life because I spent every week with my son. And uh, by the way, I've got two daughters that I love probably more than him. But if you want to have a good father-son relationship, spend a weekend in the woods with your son, you know, every month. I also met a bunch of dads that were supporters, and I'm still friends today. So we all, all kind of put our kids through this together, our sons through this. And I watched Bruce Jr. grow in the scouting from, you know, there's a big difference in an 11-year-old boy and a 17-year-old young man. And the scouting is really the only place, the only organization I know, I could be, there could be others, but I don't know of them, where an 11-year-old boy can be involved with a 17-year-old. You know, because normally a 17-year-old will have anything to do with an 11-year-old. But in scouting, the 17-year-old is the leader, the, you know, the, boy, the boy leader, if you will, and the 11-year-old is the follower. So it's, it's very much um, an organization that teaches and trains boys to be strong young men. And the top rank in that organization is called Eagle. So Eagle Scouts, that's the top rank. I am very proud to say that Bruce Bright Jr. is an Eagle Scout. Um, it, by the way, I'm an Eagle Scout, and it was one of the most important parts of my life because it taught me so much at a very young age. And as I watched Bruce go through scouting and gain the ranks, I knew what was coming. He didn't know yet. But I knew this kid was going to be hungry and go out there and get it. Whether he would be an entrepreneur or work for somebody, I didn't know that exactly until he started voicing it. And I'm going to let him tell you about his book here in a minute, and then we'll go into kind of where he's at now as we continue through. But I'll just tell you, men, if you're out there and you've got young young boys, stick them in scouts and do it with them. It'll be it's, it's the best time of the life. You get to spend time with your son. Uh, it's you know it's fun stuff. So what you're doing is you're doing fun activities. The kid doesn't know it, but you're training him to be a young man. But you're doing it through shooting rifles and camping and hiking and canoeing and that sort of thing. And I watched Bruce grow. I'll just tell you one quick story. We went to a place called Philmont. And we hiked, I don't know what it was, 50 miles or 60 miles. And it's like a 10-day trek. You haul everything in. My son was a badass. I had a whole bunch of little whiners on that trip. Bruce Jr. has never been a whiner. He is a complete badass since a very young age. That one, I mean, no complaints. He was up front, like, pushing the other boys to let's go. I remember one time we took a sailboat trip, again, in Boy Scouts. So I take all these 14-year-olds down to the Bahamas. We sell a boat. They do. I drank a lot of coffee and watched. We had a captain on the ship one night. And so the rule has always been in scouting is the dads sleep in one little area and the boys camp in their area. You know, you don't, you don't camp together. You're, the dads are there just for safety because you do have 11-year-olds with you. And they can get to you if they need to. So on this, on this sailing trip, you know, here's my rule. The men, there was two, two of us, I think, maybe it was three. The men sleep downstairs in the in the room in the bedrooms in the boat. All the boys I made sleep on top, so that was their place. We were down below. So one night it is pouring down rain. I mean torrential. I'm in a bed of sleep. I didn't care. Get getting wet ain't gonna hurt you. So I get a little knock on my door, and uh, it was one of the other scouts, and he said, "You know, Colonel Bright, can we uh can we come? It's raining really hard. Can we come down in here and like sleep in the kitchen?" And I you know I woke up and I was like, "All right, get everybody, and come on down," and I started counting heads. I'm missing one. And the one I'm missing is my kid. 
So I, you know, I, hell, I got to go up there and check on him. So I go up to the top of this sailboat in the middle of the ocean in the Bahamas. It's torrential downpours. And my kid is on his back with his arms crossed across his chest, sound asleep in the pouring down rain. So I was very proud of him. I, you know, I did nudge him and say, come on, get, get in the dry. But that's, that's, a, that's a Bruce Bright story, Bruce Bright Jr. story for you. And I got a bunch of them. I might, I might weigh in here in a minute and tell you. So let's, we're in high school. You're in high school. You'd had some failures with these little mini companies you've been trying to start. Mm-hmm. What happened next? I think I, you know, peddled around with a couple more small business ideas with friends. And then I get to college and I'm playing basketball in college. So I don't really work during the school year. I pretty much only work during the summers and I just get like valet job, just like right. hourly jobs yeah. just for like three months during the just summer bucks. to save up for some money for the school year. Right. And there was my junior year, which was the year of COVID. The end of my junior year is when COVID hit. I had took an entrepreneurial, no, no, no. It was a marketing class, digital marketing. And she gave us an assignment toward the end of the year. It was, you can make a website. The website can be a personal resume or you can try and sell something. So I tried, yeah, so I tried to sell something and I was one of two people out of like 30 who chose the, the sell something route over the personal resume route. Yeah. And that doesn't surprise me. And the, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I would have knocked the resume out in a day and it would have, I just turned it in, yeah. but I liked, I was like, I could get an A on this and make money. So it's like, this seems like a win-win. That's my son. So I started a company called Elevate Basketball Academy and the idea was, and it really, it coincided with COVID pretty well, but it was, this was before COVID. It was like an online basketball training program. So, and this was, this was the biggest, this, this was the biggest lesson I've ever learned in business was this one right here, just because of how long I took, it took me. I probably, I put in for probably six months, I was just working on this program and I'm talking like everything. I built it out. I didn't test anything. I just... I said, all right, I'm going to make a guard program, like a wing program and a big man program. And they're going to be three month programs. I I outlined it all out. Then I drove to Nashville where two of my my teammates were, filmed all the drills, took it home, edited everything down into like cut concise videos, like wording on the screen, paid for all these software to like get it in online, paid for a no, no paid a, a girl on like Fiverr, like some Philippine girl, to give me a bunch of lists of high school basketball coaches' emails. And then I, I finally, I was working at Domino's. Yep. This was during COVID. So this was the summer. Every day I woke up, worked on this program, then went and worked at Domino's at night and listened to podcasts and stuff. And I hated Domino's. I didn't mind it at the beginning, but then toward the end, I really started hating it. And I just kept thinking to myself, like while I was washing dishes and stuff, I was like, as soon as this program launches, I'm going to... I can just quit this. I'm not even making so much money. I don't even, I'm not even worried about this job anymore. And I remember I launched it on like a Friday, zero responses, no bot, obviously no purchases. Nobody even emailed me back about, about the program. So I emailed coach Tom and this is a, this is a, one of my assistant assistant college coaches who was coaching a high school at the time to get some feedback on it. And he said it was, it was okay. Like, it wasn't. It was good stuff, but he wasn't sure people were going to be interested in it. Um, so I started just giving it away to people to like get some feedback on it. And the, the overall consensus was people don't want to do their training online. They'd rather they want if they're paying for a trainer, they want you to be there in coaching the them in the gym. And and I thought maybe with COVID it might be the solution 
to train at all while you are like locked away. Yeah. yeah. But that was that was a rough lesson. That was a little slap in the that face. That was that was like a six month hours every day grinding on this program to find out people just don't want it. Yeah. You you were fixing a problem that that doesn't need problem. to be fixed. Yeah. Yeah. It, that was such a tough one. I remember being so upset because I had to go back to work at Domino's the next mm-hmm. week because I had maybe no money. And like the last six months were just a wash. Yeah. So I probably and then so that that one really that one really killed me for a while for probably like three or four weeks. And then I was just going to Domino's every day. At this point, I was working doubles because I didn't have a vision of where my, I was going anymore. Yeah. Because this, this Elevate Basketball Academy was the vision because I really liked the idea and I still do of, I of an efficient business like that. Like you make it once and it can be used millions of times. I don't have to do it. I don't have to like with my what I do now, I have to go out and wash cars every day. Yeah. Rather than just wash one car and it works for everybody. Like the, like the program. It's hard to scale. Yeah, it's harder to scale for sure because you have to scale people too, like employees. Yeah. But it's infinitely efficient. Like you just do it one time, and everyone can use it. Yeah. So they can download it. And I buy really, it. I really like that, and I still do. But so I keep working at Domino's for a little bit, and eventually I get just burned out, and I just I was like, I got to School was starting in probably like a month, so I was like, all right, I, I'm gonna, I'm out. Like I have a lot of money or a lot of money. I've been working for four months yeah. at Domino's every day for. So, 19 year old was a lot of money. Yeah. Well, at this point, I was 20. Okay. Yeah. So I was, no, I was 21. Okay. So I was going into my senior year and I just came home and I was doing nothing all day, pretty much just hanging out. And I had already quit my job, getting ready for the school year, playing basketball a lot. And I cleaned my car out. Well, I guess it's a different car now, but just my normal car. And I didn't do a detail or anything. I just washed the outside, vacuumed the inside. I was like, thank hmm. goodness. Yeah, I was like, hmm. And it was like the first time I'd ever cleaned my car. I realized that. Probably. I was like, oh, I wonder if I could like, I mean, that didn't take me, it took me like two hours to do just a quick wash and vacuum. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that didn't take that bad. Maybe I could get somebody in my like neighborhood to pay me to do theirs or something. And I remember mulling the idea over for like a week. And I was bouncing the idea off Austin at a party in Tuscaloosa over the summer where Addison goes, my girl, or went, my girlfriend was there. So I was there for the weekend and we were drinking and I just was just drunk bouncing this idea off Austin and he was just not caring at all. Like he was like, I was like, dude, I think I can really like, I could get some people in my neighborhood to like pay me to do that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just kind of, he didn't want to, yeah, I'm just talking to girls and stuff. Austin's his current roommate, by the way. Yeah, really really good friend. And I was like, you know what? And I went on my phone and I FedExed a hundred flyers to our house the next day and I biked around the neighborhood, like right in just the hundred houses closest to us. I got five responses the next day of people who wanted me to come wash their car and vacuum it out. And my prices, it was like $50 yeah. and it was a, it was a detail. I called it a quote unquote detail, but it was just a wash vacuum, wipe everything wipe down. down. That's yeah. it. Okay. Let's stop here for a second. Let me tell you from my perspective, Bruce Jr. comes to me one day. Of course, I have no idea that he's at this party running anything by Austin or that he's, you know, got got all these wheels turning. So he comes to me one day and he goes, hey, Dad, can I borrow a, by the way, this is not new. I've heard this so many damn times. Like, can I, can I basically borrow all your stuff, your car washing stuff? And I don't have a lot of car washing stuff, but I mean, I got buckets and car soap and waxes and, you know, down in the tool room. I got vacuum. I got all, I got all the stuff. But so he said, you know, can I, can I borrow some of your stuff? So the kid goes into him. He has nothing. He has a vehicle. 
So he goes into my garage, gets a bucket and some soap and a vacuum cleaner and some rags. And next thing you know, he's he's in business. So I was, I was again, he doesn't know this, but I was smiling on the inside and the outside because I was so damn proud of him. So, all right, you started with five clients in our neighborhood. We yep. live in Mountain Brook, Alabama. Yeah. Um, I remember the first customer was two cars at the same house, very first customer. And I still know him today. It was the Purcells down on, in, Alta, in whatever that neighborhood right next to us is. Abingdon. Abingdon, yeah. And uh, I came up. It was actually mom's house vacuum was what I was using. There you go. And it rained while I was there. Ooh, it's not a wet vacuum. So it ruined mom's vacuum. Nice. Because I, go- I kept going it through the rain. And I washed the outside. It took me all day to do two cars. It took me like seven hours. And I made $100. And I was, uh, I was ecstatic. I was like... I mean, a hundred dollar day at Domino's is like a good day. Yeah. And I worked seven hours there, so I was like, I mean, I just made, and, you, and that was one day. And you keep it. And up. I had, and I had the whole week booked up, so I was like, yeah. I'm gonna make like six hundred dollars this week. Like, this yeah. is gonna be great. I got a question though. Did you replace the vacuum? I, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember. We'll make note of that real quick. I don't remember. Okay, so the first day, two cars, hundred bucks, and you're on cloud nine. Yeah, and uh, it it might have been a little more. You but, and Donald Trump rolling in the money. Yeah, and uh, so. Basically, from there, I printed more flyers. It's like how I got my first five from these flyers, and I put them in people's mailboxes. And remind them, remind them, what did you ride to deliver the flyers? That was my bike. Your bicycle. I rode my bike. Yep. Because if I rode, was in my car, I'm on the wrong side you to get to the mailboxes. Backwards. Yeah, you're yeah. Going backwards. So I learned that. Yeah, that was really annoying. And I was like, I guess I'm biking. So I just biked. But then I ended up getting mom to help me out sometimes whenever uh, she was free. And you did I, it too? Yeah. Well, I rode with mom one time and did mailbox drops and I put, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. So I would get my mom to drive. I'd be in the passenger seat with some tape and all the flyers and I'd just roll the window down, tape it up and just tape so y'all, flyers to hey, all the mailboxes. Y'all got, a, y'all got a picture of this now. Bruce Jr. has got his mother driving her car with her fuel. He's sitting in the passenger seat with a lap full of you know, eight and a half by 11 flyers and a roll of tape. And he knows he can't put it in the mailbox. He did. I think he did ask me that. You can't put it in the mailbox. That's like a federal fence. But I don't can, even think you can put it on. But you can tape it to it. Well, we did. Yeah. We didn't get I mean, trouble. I kind of just rolled the dice on. And I, you got to really be. I, I remember doing that. Yeah, you're not. I don't think you get in too much trouble. But I remember doing that once or twice. And I told Karen, I don't know. I'm gonna pay somebody to do it or something. But I ain't doing this anymore because yeah. uh, it's a neighbor. You know, mailbox to mailbox to mailbox to mailbox. But that's that's how the kid got started. Was he? He just goes to FedEx, prints a bunch of flyers, and here we go. Yeah. Okay. So, so now what? So then, and also, so I didn't know how to detail a car. I just started YouTubing auto detailing and I would probably watch five videos. And I was like, all right, I'm good. I'm good to go. I got the gist. And that's how I learned. Still don't really watch that many auto. I mean, now I'm two years in, so I can detail a car blindfolded. But back then I was really just winging it. So my next thing was like, I got to get these prices up. So my detailing needs to be better. I got to get better equipment. So that first like week when I made the 600, I used probably 200 of it to buy brand new equipment. So a new vacuum, a steamer, carpet cleaner, like a carpet shampooer, which I didn't have. Mm-hmm. A bunch of gear I just didn't have. Bought that. So now I had all the good stuff. And But my prices were still like 50, 75. So I bumped them up a little bit. And I was like, okay, 60 and 90. So it was just $60, $90 sedan SUV. And I rolled with that for a little bit into... Now school had started, so I was in my senior year, mm-hmm. but pre-basketball season starting. Yeah, And I remember I was using Facebook ads. I think I was using a little bit of Google ads at this point. 
and still flyers sometimes because I flyers at this point was my bread and butter. I knew that worked. Yeah, I didn't need to test that. I knew that worked. So if I put enough, if I put X amount of flyers on, I knew I was going to get this many people. So at this point, I was getting busy with class. I mean, not a little busy, not crazy busy. So one of my teammates, Matt, wanted to make some money. So I would just send him to go do the detail. I'd put all my shit in his car, and I'd say, "This is the address." And he went with me a few times so I could teach him how to Training, do it. Yeah. Teach him how to do it. <laughs> yeah, do a little training. And then I was like, all right, what, when can you work? And he'd give me his time and I would just put details in those time slots and I'd go to class and he would just Venmo me. They would just Venmo me the money and I'd Venmo him his portion. And I was paying him $25 and $35 a car at the beginning. And you were making? And I was making 60 or 90. So That's a pretty sweet deal to be making money while you're in class. Yeah, pretty, pretty sweet deal. I mean, to think now what I'm making compared to there is so crazy, but... Hey, you had to grow. Yeah. You had to grow. And you then, know, I, I'll, I'm going to segue here for a second because this whole idea of scaling, I know I've, I've talked to Bruce Jr. I hope I've somehow ingrained in somewhere in the back of his head to, to scale it as fast as you can, but I'll give you two examples that I gave him. And the first one, I was 11. And so, same thing, I'm looking for money. My dad didn't give me money. My dad worked for the railroad. He's blue collar, ninth grade education. Good dude, took care of our family. You know, when I grew up, I'm 61 today. When I grew up, many of the families, mom raised the family, dad made the money. Uh, and then we, we definitely fell into that bucket. Whether it's right or wrong, I don't know, but that's, that's how the shit worked at my house. So my dad wasn't about giving me no money. So at 11, I went to this local 7-Eleven, a little market. Yeah, and, and the lady that run it was one of my mother's friends and also a client. My mother worked it up. She washed hair at a hair place, you know, a hair stylish thing. So one of her clients. And so she told she told her to, I could come talk to her. So I went there and I was 11 years old, rode my bike and said, I'm looking for a job. So the job she gave me was to rack bottles from soda vendors because back then everything was glass. So what would happen was Coke would come in, Coke, Pepsi, and so forth, Dr. Pepper. They would pull in and they would... They'd bring a load of drinks, all in glass bottles, but they want to pick up their empties because you get you used to get refunds if you take a bottle back. So what they would do is when she would take a bottle in, she would just stick it in this back room, like a 10 by 10 concrete room in the back of the 7-Eleven. And then I would come in two or three days a week. My job was to sort all those bottles and put those bottles in the correct crate, you know, like the Pepsi bottles in the Pepsi crate. And then when the dudes came in their truck, I had them all ready to go. So she was paying me to sort the bottles and put them in there. But also these men that worked for Pepsi and Dr. Pepper and Coconut, they would tip me. It'd be two or three dollars, but because I'd load them. They they just pull their truck in while they were unloading their new drinks. Dad would go in, I'd, you know, I was 11, I had my stuff. I'd load their, all their empties onto their truck and they give me a little tip. So I asked her, I go, hey, I got a lot of bottles to do back here now. So can I get somebody to help me? She goes, yeah, yeah, we can we can do one more. It's, you know, we got we got plenty of volume. So I hired a buddy of mine named Greg Stanley, and I hope he doesn't hear this podcast because this is what I did. I was 11. I told her, so she paid us both. And I told her, I said, I'm going to give him this much out of my check. She paid us in cash. And so every week she would put our money in a little candy, like a brown paper bag, but it was a real small, like a little candy one, and give it to us. What Greg didn't know, I think I was making about $1.50 an hour, a dollar an hour, something like that. I paid him a quarter. So he did. eventually he did all the work. I would tell him how to do it. He would do it. I'd go collect our paychecks. I got 90% of the money or 75% of the money. He got 25% of the money. I, to this day, I hadn't told him. So when he hears the podcast, he's going to be pissed. I don't owe you any money, Greg. I gave you a job. So that was at 11. 
ramp that forward now. Let me tell you Bruce Bright's dad in college because it's very similar to Bruce's mindset. So I, when I graduated, I joined the Marine Corps. But when I graduated, in, I believe I graduated in May, I wasn't going to report until like September to, to, to active duty in the Marine Corps. So I had from graduation day until report day to not nothing to do. And, you know, if you think about getting a job, if somebody asks you, hey, you know, what are you doing? You go, I'm leaving in September forever. You know, I'm going to the Marine Corps. They're not going to hire you. So I started, I called a buddy of mine named Tim Burns. And his dad owned a painting company that painted apartments. And I said, Tim, man, here's my situation. I'm done now. I'm leaving in September, but I need to make some money. So I'm just looking for some manual labor. Just, can I help y'all paint? He called me back and said, my dad doesn't need me. We're, we're full, but my cousin needs somebody if you're willing to work outside. I was like, hell yeah, I'll work. I'm, I'm work, whatever it is. So I go show up. This guy says, have you ever painted? Nope. I mean, I painted a wall in the house, but he ain't never painted professionally. Hell, I was 23 or whatever. I just graduated college. So he, he gave me about a one hour, not even that, almost a 15 minute lesson. We're painting the outside of apartment complexes with brushes. It was all slats. There's like, he had like 10 of us on ladders. We're just painting apartments all day. Two weeks into the job, I get a phone call out of the blue. And this guy goes, uh, Bruce, I'm a friend of your father's. And I am the display manager at Sears and Roebuck in Hickory Hollow Mall, which is a big shopping mall in the Nashville area. And he said, I understand you're a painter. Guys, I've been painting two weeks. I didn't own a paintbrush. What do you think I said? Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm a, I am absolutely a painter and a damn good one. So he said, well, can you come out to Sears? I want to talk to you about a job I got. So I go out to Sears, the Hickory Hollow Sears. It's a three-story Sears in cap at a mall. And he said, I want this whole store painted. I mean, I'm, when he did, my eyes rolled back in my head. And I said, uh, he said, can you know, can you think you make that happen? I go, absolutely. No problem. He didn't know I didn't own a paintbrush. So this is what it, this is the deal I made. I said, you know, just make things easier. Do you mind if I just use stuff out of the Sears paint department and you just take it out of my check? You know, at the end of the week, it is whatever I get, what he didn't know is I get everything because I didn't have shit. I didn't even have clothes. I got the paint, I got a like a paint pants, the white ones and a paint shirt from there. I got a ladder all the brushes, all the paint. I mean, everything that I that I used in that job, I got from the Sears paint department. So I started painting and he comes around and he said, Bruce, you know, it's like, I'm in, I'm in it about a week. He comes in, he goes, and this was, this is a huge store, in Capitol Mall, three stories. And when he goes, man, the, the work is really good, but you're going way too slow. And I said, how fast do you want me to go? Meaning, how many people can I hire? He said, get you three or four guys. Okay, all right. So I went back and got high school buddies that had no, these were, I'm sorry, not buddies, high schoolers that I knew like were freshmen when I was seniors. And they had no experience. These guys were 17, 18, 19 years old. So I said, hey, y'all want to make some money? At the time, minimum wage was $3 or something. This would have been 1980, something like that. And uh, 79, I graduated in 79 from high school, so probably 1980. So anyway, he said, I said, y'all want, want to do some painting? I, I think I was paying them five bucks an hour. So minimum wage is three something. I'm paying five. That's almost double. They loved it. I paid them in cash. I hope nobody from the Internal Revenue Service from Biden's damn administration is listening. So what happened was I got three guys. So I spent about, I spent two or three hours with these guys teaching them how to roll. All I wanted them to do is roll 20 foot ceilings. And what I would do, I would cut in all the edges. So um, I got them to a point where they would come in in the morning and they would set up my little cut-in tray. So it had my paint, my brushes, all my stuff I needed to cut in. And then they would go start rolling. And I told them how far, like roll three inches from the edge or two inches, whatever I told them. And then I would, I would come behind them. And of course, I would pass them because they're rolling 20 foot, 
tall and I just had to trim the edges. And I'd trim enough that they couldn't finish it for a day. And I'd just push my cart to them and walk out. I, I taught them to take my cart back to the back, clean all my brushes, get everything set up for me the next morning. And then they would keep painting. They would paint through the night with the janitor. They wouldn't make money. So they would work the whole time. All right, let's talk money for a second. Minimum wage was around three something, I think. I was paying them five. But a union painter at the time, I think, was making $30 an hour. So when I made my deal with the with the Sears guy, the display manager, I gave him that number. I gave him the union painter wage, which is, I'm gonna, let's just make it 25 bucks an hour. Remember, minimum wage was three. So he's paying me 25. When I brought those three guys on, I bought three on it when I did it. I charged him $25 an hour per guy. I was paying them five. So every hour they work, I was making 60 bucks an hour and I wasn't even in the store. So I made 25 on me, 20 each on them per hour. I made more money doing that Sears store than I made in the first 10 years in the Marine Corps, for sure. So I've learned very quickly that scaling is important and not being there and making money, that's the sweetest thing on the planet. So there's two, a couple of examples where, um, you know, as a younger guy, I was very entrepreneurial. Now I went to the Marine Corps, so I was not an entrepreneur. I will tell you one story here in a minute about where I was a little bit entrepreneurial, probably shouldn't have been while I was on active duty. All right, let's pick it back up. So now you're you're in a bright mobile detailing and you've started these flyers. Yep. Right? So kind of kept it rolling until basketball season started my senior year, which is around November, December, and it also got cold. So I kind of turned the ads off because at this point we're using Facebook ads and Google ads. Yeah. I think I was also mailing out postcards as well at this point, doing some direct mail because I would just just doing a lot of research on how service businesses market um, and just testing a bunch of stuff. So I kind of turned it off going into basketball season because I was busy a lot of the time, practice every day, games on weekends. So didn't have a lot of time to detail and it got cold. So was pretty much off detailing until February, March when basketball season ended um, and it got a little warmer and I had been planning, you know, how I was going to start it back all winter, the plan for the marketing plan, how I'm getting customers and all that kind of stuff. And I raised my prices again a couple times. So now I think I'm at maybe 100 and 150 or something like that. Okay. Still, Matt's still helping me um, in the spring and we keep it rolling. And then I meet a detailer in Auburn who I learned a lot of stuff from, who taught me about ceramic coatings and raising my prices, a couple of different marketing strategies that I still use. So a little mentorship going on there from, from a friend in Auburn. Yeah, a little, little yeah. mentorship. I mean, I met him on social media, so not really somebody I knew, but yeah. I, I mean, I knew him now. I know him now. And I've got a couple of friends like that. Yeah, you've got one guy out west. In you? Portland, yeah. He's, Portland. he's been the best mentor because he's my age. He's 24, yeah. but he just didn't go to college. So he just started the detailing business at 18. So he's just four years ahead of me. Yeah. But no, yeah, he's killing it. And he's already dealt with all the problems I have. He's got 17 employees and four full-time mobile guys. So he's been a really good resource. So I, then I graduate. I mean, I graduated in May and then I full t- then full-time detailing. So yeah. hired my first full-time employee before I graduated. Her name was Haley, probably February-ish. Yeah, I loved her. She was such a sweet lady. Yeah, she was really good. And she was a young girl, probably like my age, a little younger. And she just detailed for me. But we went together until I got the van. And I didn't get the van until middle of the summer. So I, I was using my car for a year and then, or maybe eight months. Mm-hmm. And then I got a trailer. We made a trailer. Remember I bought that trailer mm-hmm. and we put it together and set it all up. 
yeah, with a water on, tank and generator. Get on YouTube and find out how to build them and then build it out. Yep. Um, used that for not very long. Used it for like a month or two. And then we sold that. And I got a, tra- uh, a van, a, tra- a Ford Transit van, because if I was going to have an employee going out to do the detailing, just too much liability to have them pulling a trailer, I thought. There's too much margin of error there yeah. for them to mess something up. So I got got the van, sent Haley on by herself for, she probably worked for like three months. She had to she had to quit for personal reasons, but then I hired another guy. Well, let's talk about, I want to talk about the trailer here for a trailer and then the, how you progress from using your own car to your car pulling a trailer that's got this logo a little bit mm-hmm. uh, to this full-blown, you've got a, a beautiful, fully wrapped, you know, Ford Transit. Yeah. And we're going to get another one. All right, so... Bruce learned a very valuable lesson too at young age of 23 or 24 when the trailer come unhooked. I'm 23 now, so 22 or less. Yeah. So he's driving down a major road in Birmingham, <laughs> and the trailer with a lot of water. So we've got a water tank in there because there's some, a lot of detailing. They have a water spigot. Some don't. If they don't, he's got a water. You know, he's, he brings water. It's 150 water, gallons. Yeah, water's heavy. So he's got a thousand pounds of water in this damn trailer, and it comes unhooked from his truck. And it goes down the the right side. Luckily, there was a concrete wall there, yeah, and he just... he pinned it between the car and the concrete wall. Otherwise, it could, it could easily. I mean, it was a ballistic missile. It could have killed somebody. It did total the car because it hit the back of the car. It was it took the right side of the car off, but it was a big learning. I mean, a big learning curve. And from there, he decided he wanted to to buy do a, a, a van that had the water in it. So now he's got a Ford Transit fully wrapped. I will throw out, did you do that on trade? Yeah. We got involved in this thing called Trade Bank. It's a it's a bartering company, but he got a he got a wrap out of it, which is a good deal. And it's a beautiful, I mean, we might put that in the in the notes. It's a beautiful Ford Transit, very professionally wrapped, and inside he's got it set up just like he wants it. So it's got a water tank, vacuum, steamer, shampooer, generator. all his rags, generator, you know, it's it's a yeah. it's I mean, a self contained unit. Yeah, I wanted to be able to do detail anywhere. Yeah. So middle of the parking lot. Nobody like nothing around. We can do it. We can yeah. do it anywhere. Yeah. So that's what I need. Because I mean, I'd say probably eighty percent of the people have water and power, but for those twenty, it's just turning down money because you're they want a detail, but they yeah, don't have water. Do power. They live at an apartment building, yeah, or they're at, they are at work every day, so they don't have water at their work. So yeah. I just wanted I wanted there to be no reason we could say no, right? And we've had some fun with that. That trans, we've done two or three options on the transit van. I'll, I'll tell a funny story real quick. He's got an employee in the van one day. Employee calls, hey, the generator won't run. Hmm. All right, Bruce. This was, is, the, this was the, the youngest guy I've ever yeah, hired. Yeah, yeah, like he, was 19, good. he was a good kid. He's 19. Yeah. So he goes, hey, Bruce, the generator it stopped, won't run. So Bruce was detailing, I think, that day. So he called me and said, can you go over there and can you go look at it? So I pull in, and as soon as I pull in, this kid is on a 20-degree bank, the van, the transit van, with the generator inside it is on a 20-degree bank. So I open the back of the van and go, son, you know where the fuel is in this thing, right? The fuel's right here, but you've got the fuel on the top of the hill. So did you did you put fuel in the generator? Uh, yes, sir, I did. I said, well, give me, give me the keys to the truck. So I turned, the, all I did was turn the truck around. When I turned around, of course, the fuel went to the end where the pickup's at, started right up. So we learned a little bit of a lesson there is top it off, make sure you're on level ground, uh, and make sure the generator runs, but that you know, costs us two or three hours but anyway it worked he's yeah. a good guy and we got him back running so okay so you you got the van now you got an employee that's been a little bit of employees have been a challenge and no matter yeah. what it's it's been a challenge so yeah. now where are you going yeah so right now we are we're in a really good spot i've got a really solid employee john he's doing great 
great reviews, great work, always on time. I mean, Good don't guy. have don't have to watch over him at all. Yeah. Great guy, yeah. Just hired back as his part-time employee because we're we're busy. I'm doing ceramic coating, so they don't know how to do ceramic coatings, and I wouldn't I wouldn't want them to do it. They're really expensive. They're really expensive. It's like a thousand dollar plus ceramic coating, so they're pretty particular. The customers are. So I, I'm still doing those. We've got two this week, and that's kind of my focus. More of those jobs, and I've got these guys going. I mean, I'm going to give them as much work as I can. One of them is full time, and he's I mean he's already booked up for all this week. Some of next week, and then. Jared, the part-time guy, is booked up for the end of this week, but he's just kind of got the, I told him we have a deal where I'll give you as much work as I can, but I can't guarantee you can work every day. And the winter is also kind of a question mark because it gets cold. People just, I don't know what it is because it doesn't really make sense here. It doesn't really get that cold in Birmingham. Plus they're not washing it, you are. They're not washing it. So I don't know why the cold cold affects it, but people just kind of don't think about auto detailing as much in the cold is what the consensus between auto detailers think but i mean there's detailers that live in portland and yeah, they're working course, on your buddy yeah they're living you may you may have to start educating them a little more about like hey here it comes it's starting to get cold but you still have to maintain your car yeah something but yeah but yeah we're still busy i mean we'll be busy i mean i've already done two winters so yeah it's like we're gonna we'll be busy all the way through the winter it's just i don't know how what's the next big step for bright mobile decon so right now you got you got you're running two trucks one yeah. is yours one is the the, the logo van what's the next step so more ceramic coating jobs. That's been a big focus this last month. And now we're doing about one or two a week, which is a, a lot of money. Yeah. Because we make one detailer, we're bringing in about $500 a day. And a ceramic coating starts at 1000 and goes up. And you do yeah. it in one day. So right. it's just... Now these ceramic coatings, because I, I, of course I was his first customer on that. The ceramic coating deal, at least the one I got, it includes a full detail to start paint correction. And then once you've got all that done, then you apply this... It can be up to a lifetime yeah, uh, they, ceramic coating. Yeah, they make them, the lifetime coatings are about 10 years, like the lifetime of a vehicle, yeah, like how long you'd have keep it. it. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, they're, I mean, they're top of the line for protecting your paint. And I learned that from the Auburn guy. He's big into ceramic coatings. Yeah. And there's a couple different, like, there's a couple different ways you could go about scaling this because the ceramic coating is going to be more involved for me. I have to go do it unless well, I train somebody train eventually. Somebody. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just more. Well, I mean, at some point you're going to at some point you're going to have 17 trucks. I mean, if you stay with it, just like your buddy in Portland. Yeah, I, I think Birmingham probably caps off at around three, maybe. Okay, well then we but, go, then you. Go I mean, to, he only has four full time detailers. Yeah, and, oh, but okay. he has 13 people who work dealerships. Okay, so I don't really want to go the dealership route. It doesn't intrigue me at all. Just way more employees yeah, to deal with. Also, well, you also had a couple of fleet offers you turned down. The fleet offers I found aren't very good either. They just want very very cheap. Yeah. And also really, really high quality work. And it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And they want it on like Saturdays and Sundays. We don't work Saturdays and Sundays. Yeah. So just doesn't make sense, really. You know your focus. You know what you're interested in. You know where the money's at. And you, you've been focused on that. Well, our bread and butter is standard detailing. Inside, outside detailing for our rate. Our prices now are 250 for sedans, 275 for mid SUVs, and 300 for like big vans, big trucks. Yeah. So that's like, that's like our bread and butter. My guys can do that all day. So that's six times what you were charging when you were in high school. When I was well, when, when I was you in college. started, yeah, when, when started. I started, yeah, yeah. So we're that's our we can do those as much as many as those I, as I can get. I want because yeah. we can I can print those out and I don't have to go do them. Yeah, I just put them in the system and they get done. Yep. So I like that. So I think I'm gonna focus on ceramic coatings just because they're so high ticket. It's hard for me not to. I can do one a week and add five grand to the you know to the monthly revenue. Mm-hmm. But I'm also 
we're also going to lean pretty heavily on maintenance programs. So we still, we have maintenance programs now and we have for a while, but I, I think I'm going to make them like too good to, to turn down because yeah. so right now I, our maintenance programs, I think they're one, one ninety or no, one eighty for the monthly one ninety for bi-monthly and then two ten for quarterly. And you get a full detail, but it's like one eighty per how month. Long, how long do they have to sign up for? Well, monthly or quarter or bi-monthly, so it's twelve a year, six a year, or four a year. Okay, so it's a year contract. It's a, well, there's no contract. You can quit any time, but you okay. are basically you're buying a package of details. Okay, you pay for them all up front. Oh, okay. So they're not they're not going to quit then once they pay for them. Yeah. So you have we have probably six to eight people on the, on that right now. Okay. And that's cool because I just get a check for you know a grand or two. And then I just put all their schedule, their details in, and they get done. Yeah. But I think the really the way to do it to get more people to to buy into it would be to drop the price a good chunk to where it's like almost too good to turn down. You're like, I get a full detail for that price mm-hmm. every month, and make it month to month where they can cancel any time. Yeah. And they pay month to month, and I just keep their card on file, and every month just, just swipe it. Yeah, just run it. Yeah. I think that's the way I'm going to go. A little the the standard details; those are going to keep coming in. Just the marketing channel we have coming right now, it would be hard to shut off. Like yeah. If if I was like, all right, we're done with business, I would still get calls and stuff. Sure. So yeah, that's sure. going to come in no matter what. And then the ceramic coating and the maintenance programs are really going to be my push this winter, just well, to supplement. Yeah. So so you know when you have a customer that signs up for these extended plans, that's a good opportunity to go. Let me talk to you about the next level. It's an upsell. Ceramic coatings. Yeah, the ceramic coatings is an upsell. So I think, you know, as you go forward, that's a that's a really good way to do it. Are you planning on, on adding any more trucks or are you sitting tight for now? For right now, going into the winter, probably not adding any more. Just okay. to, I mean, I don't want to hire somebody and have to let them go immediately. Sure. So, yeah. but I think around February, everyone starts ramping up in February. The it's detailing true. season is around, for Birmingham, it's warm here in February. Yeah. So February to November. Right. is like our busy time. So right around February, I'll probably hire another guy, maybe get another dr- truck. What about getting a, I know you've, you've talked to dad about getting a garage where you could pull some, pull something inside and buff it and ceramic coat it and all that. So I've thought about the garage. They'd be awesome for ceramic coatings, but I would really only want to do it if it was a really good deal. Yeah. Cause I, Right now, I have a great deal with the, my rent now. We, yeah. we have an office where you office yeah. in Hoover, and I, I pay 250 on trade or 150 cash a month. Yeah, that's a pretty rent. good deal. Yeah, and a I have a real, real good dude. He's got a garage where you, not a garage, but a shed. Yeah, he gave me a shed. You keep all your stuff. And it's, um, I've got an office. There's an office if you need it, but right now, you don't, need real, you don't really need an office. No, and it's, I mean, it's plenty of room, and it, I can have, I mean, if I really needed to, I could have like three vans out of there yeah, still being paid. Park the van there. Yeah, I parked right. the van there. But if I had three vans, I could still run it out of there and still pay 150 yeah. a month. And I would triple my revenue by every van is tripling my revenue or, yeah. uh, you know, adding another. Yeah. So the garage is not out of the realm of possibilities, but down, down the road, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I don't like the expenses of it, but yeah. Because well, I can do ceramic coatings without it. So, yeah. but if you had them, if you had them lined up, you're doing three, three a day. Uh, five days a week, maybe it'd be time for. I really want it to be a kind of a cool spot too. So yeah. I just if it if the opportunity shows like it will. shows itself, I might I might get it that will it will because you work you work hard. So that's when the opportunities come. All right, so we kind of heard the story all the way back from very very young kid with these entrepreneurial ideas, lots and lots of them. The nice thing about Bruce, if he's got one, he'll try it. I mean, he'll he'll swing the bat and see what happens. Recently, though, you've written a book. 
Yeah. Um, and what's the name of the book? So the, the book is called Fuck a 9 to 5. On Amazon, it's called F a 9 to 5. They have policies yeah, but, against, yeah, against curse words on the, t- on the cover. They'll let, I brought you one. They brought, oh, they'll, let you, they'll let you write it inside. Oh, okay. But they won't let you put it on the cover. So uh, I know most of you don't have a video, but there it is, the, the cover of it. And then inside, um, you can say it. You just can't say it on the cover. Yeah. So it's, Okay. So why did you go with fucking nine to five? Yeah. So, so really the book, let me explain what the book is and then it'll kind of make more sense. So okay. the book is really just how if I was in college – like somebody who wants to be a businessman doesn't know where to start because I always knew I wanted to start a business and I knew I was going to keep trying. It's just kind of a matter of time until I found something. And again, I'm not that passionate about all the detailing. It's just what I found. It worked and I just went with it. Mm-hmm. But there, I know there's plenty of kids who are in college that were just like me who don't want to work a nine to five or work for somebody and just hate their job and come home every evening. Like a lot of my friends that I know, um, I'm not going to name any names, but a lot yeah. of friends that just are living for Thursdays because it's one day away from Friday and mm-hmm. they can count that as the weekend. Yeah. But I knew I didn't want that. I knew I wanted more freedom, mostly of my time. And it became more clear that the freedom of my time was more important to me after college. Yeah. In college, when I was detailing, I was like, I just like the money, which the money is great now too. Yeah. But being able to say, like today I didn't work just because I scheduled myself off. And I, I usually give myself Mondays. Who, who owns a company? I do. So yeah, I usually give myself Mondays off if I can. Unless some, if somebody wants to ceramic coating, I'll, you know, I'll, yeah. on a Monday, I'll Pony do it. up on that. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. But normally I give myself Mondays off. And just that freedom, like Austin came home for lunch today and I was just sitting on the couch doing work on my computer and watching something. He got to go back. And he was just like, you bastard. You're mm-hmm. just doing nothing today. It's like, yeah. But you are. You work. You, no, I was working. Work. I was working on actually a different company. That, yeah. Oh, sorry, know, a, new, a new idea. Yeah, I haven't even told you about this. Okay. So, uh, me and Quan, this is actually Quan's baby. It was his idea when he. So when he lived here, one of my ex team, or he's still on the team. I'm not. Yeah. One of my teammates. He had a ba- de- basketball teammate. College yeah, basketball. He lived with us for like a month and a half this summer. Helped me detail, and uh, he had this idea for a party. We we're gonna throw a party. I might have told you at the beginning. Yeah, you of this. Me a little bit of it, yeah. And uh, he was like, "We're gonna hit UCLA. We're gonna hit San Diego State." Arizona. I was like, how are we getting there? And what money? And you've never thrown a party. Like, yeah. <laughs> how, where, how are we starting? Give me step one. And he's like, all right, throw a party in T-Town, just Tuscaloosa at University of Tell, Alabama. Yeah, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yeah. So University of Alabama's there. And he's like, let's throw a party there. I was like, okay. So we did, he, he did, he did most of the reaching out at the beginning uh, to different bars and stuff, trying to throw parties. And we got one bar to answer us. And we answered the email one more time back and no responses. So like, all right. What, back to the drawing board. What bar can we get in Birmingham? So we got a bar in Birmingham. One of our, one of my old fraternity brothers works at a bar and has for like six years at Zydeco. Yeah. I don't know if you know it. And the owner, we got on a call with the owner, and he said, "I'd love to throw a party with y'all. We can do three options. Where you know, one's like we rent out the whole place, and it's like all the money up front, and then there's like a half and half deal, and then a co-promotion deal. And we're doing the co-promotion. It's on November 12th. So no money up front." No money up front, and we just split after all after our expenses and their expenses. We just split the profit on the back end. Okay. So that's not, an easy way to get in. Easy way to get in. No money up front, which is good. And so we went with that deal, and we're actively planning it now. Um, we've got how we're going about marketing it. We want to stay within about a thousand dollars for ourselves. Their their expenses are about twenty five hundred. He said, give or take. 
So we're looking at 3,500, the capacity is 1,000 people. So we'd need like 350 people to break even. Pretty confident we're gonna get that. But we're doing, how we're kind of promoting it, we're giving away a $500 bar tab to the fraternity or sorority. Sororities can't really do it, we've learned, but to the fraternity that sells or buys the most tickets. So, so you got them selling tickets for you. So you got them selling tickets for us. We have nine fraternities committed, three from BSC, six from UAB. And we just recently got our ninth one today, but we've just been pretty much reaching out, cold reaching out to fraternities and people we know in fraternities. And okay, and what kind of party is it going to be? It's called Greek Fest. It's called Greek Fest America College Party Tour. So, okay. And this is episode one, quote unquote. So episode one is Birmingham Zydeco. And we're, we have three different videographers and cameramen. One of them we're paying, who's really good. And then two kind of uh, amateur free, freelancers that okay. are friends. So we're going to have a bunch of content. And our idea is to kind of have this party. Hopefully we sell out. We want to sell 1,000 tickets to get reach capacity. I think we can do it, but it, it'll be clearer in the next couple of weeks. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's on November 12th, so it's not that far away. Yeah. Um, we're supposed to launch today. I think we're going to launch tomorrow. Like announce the party. Okay. But yeah, we're going to use all that content to market and then do episode two, hopefully in Tuscaloosa at some bar there. But at the party, what would they expect to get? Oh, oh, oh. we're going to have two. We have two DJs, one upstairs, one downstairs. We've got custom uh, Greek fest shots that are like a dollar. We were going to have Greek girls was the name of the Greek girls. They're basically models like in togas. Okay. And we're going to have like six or seven of them. They're kind of maybes now because originally it was in Tuscaloosa and we told them it was in Tuscaloosa. A lot of them go to UAB. So I don't, we don't really know if they want to be seen with all their friends like that. Yeah. But maybe. And they were going to like walk around with shots and stuff yeah. on their hands and serve stuff. It. Yeah, and serve it like kind of like Vegas does yeah. or like Bourbon Street. But it's really just like. Just a big party. Just a big college party. Like, which, okay. like there's going to be bright light, like smoke and fog and bright lights and, you know, upbeat music. This reminds me of old school, the movie Old School. Kind of, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's basically just... A yard party. It's basically, yeah, it's just like a big party. There's, yeah. And it's called Greek Fest, which is a little misleading, I think. People might think it's a toga party, which they can wear a toga if they want. Uh, it can be that or it can be fraternity stuff. <laughs> or it can be fraternity stuff, which is really not either. I mean, we're getting fraternities to help us and it's called Greek Fest, so that might help make sense for them but anybody can come obviously it's ten dollars so but yeah so i've been working on i was working on that all day on my off day so another entrepreneurial idea yes but but back to the book yeah so the book i was what what made me write it was i didn't have much going on like well i mean i guess i'm running a business but and by comparison to a normal day, I, I wrote it over like a six-month span. Yeah. So, the title of the book, by the way, is fucking nine to five, but the subtitle is How I Started a Six-Figure Business in One Year at 21 Years Old and How You Can Too. Yeah. So it's really, it's not a story. It's a guide. Is that your hand? No, it's not my hand. No, yeah, it's not my hand, but it's uh, it's it's not a story. It's not narrative. It's a guide. It's a cookbook. It's a step-by-step guide, yeah. yeah. It's There's no fluff either. There's Because a lot of the business books I read... They're just so much fluff in there, or, and they repeat themselves over and over again throughout the book. You don't, and it's just no. It's so this book is, is seventy five pages long. Seventy five pages, and I don't repeat myself at all. And there's no a lot of the things you're going to learn also, like from other books and courses and stuff. It's you know drop shipping or e commerce. It's just all this stuff that it's just clickbaity. And this is this is like how to start a real service business, and it's not specifically auto detailing. It's any service, any service. Any, yeah. any home service business. Right. Um, I break down how I marketed it, how to get your first customers. I mean, 
everything, how to hire employees, how to scale. So it's 75 pages of meat. I mean, it's just all. It, it's it's it. every step I took or would take now looking back if I was starting my business again. Yeah. And how, how, how to do it. It's basically it. And I'm also, I also have a course that I'm launching as well in pretty much in tandem with the book. Um, the book when is kind of. launch? It's out. I mean, you can join now. I'm just waiting for to get, I'm only going to do it with like a small batch of people for free. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get like five people. Probably. Is the course the book? The, yeah, the I book mean, with the process. me. Yeah. yeah, with me. So you read the book. I'm not there. I can't help you. You sure. might have questions. And with the course, it's basically the book broken down a little bit deeper, yep. in a little deeper detail. And we, we get weekly Zoom calls with me where I answer Q&A questions. Did you do any, is there online video training? Uh, no. Or is it all not, live with you? Not yet. Yeah, it's all live with me. Okay. So When's that going to kick off? Probably like the next month or so. But okay. We'll put that in the show notes. We can put, we can put yeah, it's, where, it's where to go. It's fn9to5.com. Okay, fn9to5.com. Yep. Okay, go there, and you can look and find out how to get on to Bruce Jr.'s live Zooms with him. So you get, I, I would say, read the book first, and then you get the one-on-one or one-on-many uh, with Bruce Bright Jr., and he'll walk you through the process that he wrote in the book. Yep. Awesome. Okay, anything you want to you want to offer before we close? So you told a great story. I'm so proud of you, son. I mean, I can't tell you it's just, I'm proud of all my kids, but this one right here is a big entrepreneur. I've got a couple of funny stories. I'll tell one. Well, I'll, I'll end this with this. I'll end my part with this story. So typical family, just I mean, we're a family of five. Uh, Karen and I are empty nesters now. Uh, my youngest one's 21. She's a senior in college. Bruce is 23, and then the oldest one's 31. I got my first grandbaby. I'm just, you know, kind of living high on the hog right now. But I remember back when Bruce, I think you were somewhere between 11 and 13 when you were eating in your room. Oh, this was this was high school. Yeah. So yeah. I was 14 as freshman year of high school. Okay, so. so maybe he was 14. So, you know, I had a rule in the house, still have it, don't eat food in your bedroom. And it's not that I'm a, I'm not a food Nazi. I don't care where you're eating really, but I don't want any bugs or mice in my house. So I got two teenagers. They live up kind of a little upstairs apartment. It is inside our house. But so I, I laid the rule down and said, all right, no more food in the room, in the rooms. So I go up to Bruce Jr.'s room and I, I'm going I'm to say he was 14. Uh, I'm not up there doing some kind of food inspection. I was going up for something else, to say something to him or whatever. And I walk in, there's food in his room. And uh, the daddy was not very happy. So what I did was I said, take all that food down to the kitchen. And one other small thing, you're not sleeping in this house tonight. And when I said that, the girls, moms, the sisters fell apart. They, they're, they're, they're kind of balling. And Bruce, I think, maybe took me serious in the beginning. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. I don't but know. it started getting dark. And I said, hey, just remember, you don't sleep here. Tonight, you're not sleeping in my house because you don't respect my house. So you can call a friend. You can sleep in the back of my truck, which is my kind of my scouting vehicle. As I use it in Boy Scouts. It's got carpet in it. Uh, you can throw a tent. I don't care what you do. But you're not sleeping in my damn house. I know that because you disrespect your dad. And you're eating food when I told you not to in your room. And so... <laughs> He goes out, you know, but it's getting dark. He goes out and climbs in the back of my truck, this, this old pickup truck I've got. Now, it is carpeted, and it's got a topper on it, so this is this is not terrible stuff. And his mother was bawling. His little sister was bawling. I go, oh, my God, he's he's only he's only 14. And uh, so I was like the meanest father in the world. But I will tell you this. The kid stayed in that truck all night. The next morning, he came in and said, you know, can I come in, Dad? And I go, yeah, and I'll fix him a big, big breakfast. And I said, so we've learned a lesson that you – Honor your dad and honor your family and do what your dad asked you to do. And there's a reason I'm asking you to do it. And I hope I gave him a story 
that he can tell when I'm long gone that when you when your father asks you to do something, it's best that you do it. Because everything that I do with all of my children, I've got my kids' best interests at heart. He's beginning to, I'm a smarter dad now, kid's 23, but I can remember, all parents remember, your kids go through a phase in those teenage years where you're the dumbest person on the planet. You don't know anything. All my kids have grown out of that. Like I said, my youngest one's 21, Bruce is 23, and the oldest one's 31. So luckily, I think I'm back on their good side. But I've never wavered once on the amount of unconditional love out of my children. But I do think it was important that Bruce understand there's rules in this home, and you follow the rules in the home if you want to be a part of the family. And I, I giggle all the time. I tell that story quite you know, frequently. I, to be quite honest, I watched him all night. I knew exactly where my son was. He was in the front of my house, in the back of my truck. It was a decent weather night. Wasn't too cold. Uh, hopefully it was a little cold, so he got he got a little chilly. But um, you know, I was I was up. He didn't know it. I was watching him closely, and then I was very proud the next morning to fix him breakfast. And hopefully we all learned a lesson together. But in any case, I'm very proud to have Bruce Bright Jr. on the Bruce Bright Breakdown. My young entrepreneurial son has made me more proud than you can imagine throughout his you know, younger years and his Boy Scouts, his playing ball, the grades he made, and now he's just. He's an awesome kid and or a young man and a, and a great entrepreneur. And I'm, I know big, big, big things are coming from Bruce Bright Jr. So anything you want to say in closing? Thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's fun. I, yeah. I like that you started the podcast. I think you got a lot of personal connections that need to be learned from. Um, and I value sitting over there and listening to him. Yeah, on all the podcasts, so Bruce is a producer, so he he's he's in the background on all of them and can jump in jump in at any time. And I'm, I'm very happy to have him in here, one, because he's – He's smart IT-wise, and Dad's not. Uh, but also, I wanted to hear these guys that I'm bringing in. And we're, bring, we're, we're bringing – we've got big names on it already. Watch the podcast. Watch the other episodes. And, and we're going after some some big hitters down the road. Uh, so it's going to be a good time. Well, son, I so much appreciate your time coming in here. I love you. I'm so proud of you. And um, thanks for being on the Bruce Bright Breakdown. Love you, too. Thanks, thanks for having me. See you, brother.